Oh yeah, that is the new theme music brought to you courtesy a friend of the show, J.D. Shaw, and that means you are listening to Mile 31 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. It is great to have you back with us. For many of us, running provides greater significance than simple exercise. It's an emotional outlet, a meditative sanctuary, a place for oneness with community and nature. And in those seasons of struggle or change, running might be our anchor as we are adrift in an otherwise unsettled sea. For J.D. Shaw, the crossroads of running and faith guided him through his life's ultimate challenge. As a musician diagnosed with vocal cord cancer, J.D. faced losing his career and uncertainty about his long-term health. The challenge brought with it anxiety, depression, and a quest for direction through the chaos. I sat down earlier this week with J.D., and he shared his story. We hope you enjoy hearing his inspirational journey of finding meaning through running. All right, we are excited to bring in J.D. Shaw now to tell his inspirational story of life and running. J.D., welcome in, man. Good to be here. It's great to have you. How are you today? I'm awesome. Get a good run in today? Uh, Yep, I did um, Paris Mountain. What was the route I took today? Brissy Ridge. Yeah. Um, Sulphur Springs. Sulphur Springs, Brissy Ridge. Sulphur Springs is a good challenge. Yeah, it's good. It was It was good. About five miles. Cool. Could there have been a more perfect day? No. So, well, I, if there is, I can't wait to experience it. <laughs> That's well said. When you get to mid-May here and you're yeah. waiting for heat and humidity and we had 50 degrees and clear and cool this morning, it was amazing. a great day to run. J.D., Tell the audience a little bit about your background. They know you simply as a guy that we've hyped up for a couple of weeks because we have <laughs> intro music coming, so they knew this interview was right. on the way. So you are our musician, but a whole lot more. So uh, maybe a little bit about how you got into music, your background yeah. uh, earlier in life. Uh, born and raised in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Ancestors settled there from Scotland. So, I mean, our family's been there forever. Um, born and raised in a in a music family, uh, both of my parents uh, sing, and um, they grew up just loving music. High school, playing in bands. I was in drama, and then after high school, I started college, but I had no idea why I was there. I <laughs> wanted to be a rock star, and there wasn't any change in my mind. Um, so I just began to pursue music right after high school. Uh, played country music for a while. That was when line dancing was all the craze. Oh, man, what was big then? What kind of... Oh, man, uh, boot scooting boogie. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah. Man, now I'm telling my age. Yeah, so... So is this like early 90s, maybe? I graduated high school in 93. Okay. So that was in the the midst of the, yeah, like I said, line dancing. Mm -hmm. I was a drummer. That was my main instrument growing up, was playing drums. And... I know we're not talking so much about music, but that is where I truly learned how to to be a drummer was to was playing country music <laughs> because if you're not in sync, if you're not in time, they can't line dance. Not to, you know they dance to these songs all the time. You get up there, you play it too fast, they know. You play it too slow, they know. You got to be right there, right in the pocket. You got to find your your groove and you got to stay there. And that's that applies. Yeah, that applies to running. For sure. You know, and continue to pursue music through my 20s. 
And it wasn't until I was 30 years old that I realized that I could write music. And I started to pursue writing music and recording music. And, and so I've, you know, I've done that through since then. And so now I play full-time you know, music I play with a guy named uh, Bill Ierby. He's a violinist, and we travel around and play. Um, and so that's, that's pretty much my career is music. So as a person whose career is as a musician. Right. Drummer, you said? Drums was my main instrument. Other then, instruments you play? Uh, guitar. Okay. Yeah, guitar and sing. Vocals. Know, obviously, obviously okay. yeah. And, and vo- you know, my voice was something that I used throughout you know, even whenever I was playing drums, it was a big part of, of what we did. We had a lot of vocals in our in our band. But then whenever I started writing music at, you know, the age of 30, I that's when I stepped out from behind the drums. And I was like, okay, I, I've always wanted to be out front to sing the music that I write. And that's whenever I did that. So my voice, my, my, my guitar skills are not anywhere near <laughs> what, how I can play drums. So it's my voice is really what... It's what makes the money. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't make a, a good living just playing guitar or just playing drums. So definitely, yeah, singing is 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 definitely my, my greatest passion. So. so when it's the voice <clears throat> that carries your career, right? Let's fast forward here to your recent past. Right, you start to get sick. What time period is this for you? This, this is, um, I started to show signs in spring of last year, 2018. Okay. And at that point, what are you feeling? You don't know what's happening in your body, but, but what are some of the things you're feeling and seeing? It was just, you know, it was, it was a loss of, of my voice. There wasn't really any, any pain at first. It was just, I thought it was allergies. Now I have to realize I had just moved to Greenville in August of 17, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, we move here, my wife and my family, we, we move here and we're excited to be here in Greenville and I'm ready to start, you know, transitioning some of my career here. And so I'm looking for places to, to book and, and then I, you know, and I start to work a little bit here and not long after I start working here, I start to lose my voice. Mm-hmm. And I, th- like I said, I, th- I thought it was, I thought it was allergies. As an aside, I remember the first night after I moved here, what my allergies were yeah. like, because it's terrible here, right? right? With all the pollen and That's everything. Right. So yeah. that makes some sense that you go there first. Yeah. And I was traveling from here to North Carolina and I still do. I travel from here back to Fayetteville, you know, every weekend. And so, you know, pollen has different strains. And so I'm, I'm in it here, I'm in it there. So I'm thinking I'm just getting slammed by, mm-hmm. by this and it's just wreaking havoc on my voice. And so normally, you know, by, you know, the end of May, June, it usually, you know, it starts to, to ease up and, and, and sure. clear up. It didn't, it just progressively got worse. So in, yeah, so that, that whole from February to June was just a, a, a radical decline, even in my speaking voice. It was, and, and at first it was, it would kind of ebb and flow, you know, it would be, um, it would be really bad one week, it would be a little bit better, maybe the next. And so that's why it was kind of, 
it was very tricky to try to figure that out. And at first I didn't go to an ENT because I felt like this will just clear up. Well, when it didn't clear up, then I began to look for an ENT in town. Here's where the, you know, the, the, the real story begins in this is it was June and we were, my wife and I and um, <clears throat> two of my girls, we were eating at Max Speed Shop downtown. And I, my second bite of chicken got stuck in my esophagus and it wouldn't move. And it's happened before. I have a condition with acid reflux that causes that to happen. Um, and so I I walked outside and I was hoping that if I would, because it's easy to kind of freak out in that situation, yeah. you know. And so I walked outside and hoping that it would just, that my, you know, esophagus would just, because it, it constricts is what happens. And so I was hoping that it would just relax and it wouldn't. And so I tried to drink water to wash it down. Well, the water didn't go anywhere and then I started to choke on the water. A gentleman came over, gave me the Heimlich. Um, the water, you know, came out, but the chicken didn't go anywhere. They they called the ambulance. The ambulance came. I sat in the ambulance and I was like, I'm, I'll be fine. You know, it's gonna, it'll eventually go down. And the paramedics were like, we need to take you, because the as the the longer that sits there, the more damage it's gonna do to your esophagus where it's sitting. So now I've never had any type of major surgery. I've never been, I've never had, you know, anesthesia. I've never been under. So they take me to the hospital and I have to have emergency surgery to remove this chicken. They gave me two shots of something to try to relax my esophagus and it didn't work. So for about two or three hours, that chicken was stuck and it was painful. And so now here I am, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going through all this with my voice. Now I'm, I'm faced with having to do emergency surgery, but I'm having trouble finding an ENT and getting a referral to go to an ENT. That's why I'm sharing this part of the story. It's important. So they, right before they put me under, I asked the surgeon if he would give me a referral to an ENT because I've been having issues. And if actually, if they would look around, see if they saw anything. And he said, yeah, I'll give you a referral, no problem. And yeah, so I, I had surgery. They, they removed the chicken, and I had my referral to go to an ENT. Right before I went under, I hope it's okay that I, I share his, his name. Is That's my doctor, my ENT. Right before they put me under, um, one of the anesthesiologists said, you need to go see Dr. Eller. And I said, that's who I found online that I wanted to go and see, but I was having trouble with the with the referral. And so I found Dr. Eller on, on online. She says Dr. Eller. And then after my surgery, I get a phone call a couple of weeks later that they had scheduled an appointment through just through Greenville Health System. They didn't tell me who the ENT was going to be, and I didn't have a choice. And so the ENT's office, they called me, and they said, we're going to get you in here, get you taken care of. And I said, who's the doctor? They said, Dr. Eller. <laughs> So this is the third time that Dr. Eller has shown up on the on the radar. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm supposed to see Dr. Eller. Yeah. For whatever reason. So I go, um, I have my appointment. I go and I, I go to the appointment by myself. 
Um, I'm not thinking that I'm going to need any support. So I go to the to his office, and the um, there were two uh, speech pathologists that did the scope. I think one was training. And they don't say very much whenever they do the scope. Well, this is my second time getting the scope. The first time he talked to me the whole time. So I thought, wait a second, they're not... Soon as soon as they started, you know, as soon as the scope went down in the end, they started looking, it kind of got an awkward silence was in the room. You could I sense. I could feel it. Yeah. I could feel it. And I was like, now I'm thinking voice issues, right? As a singer, it could be, you know, a nodule or something like that, easily removed. It could be overuse. Now I've been singing for 10 years nonstop, really no breaks, maybe a week or two. So I've put my voice through a lot over the last 10 years. So I get, and so the doctor, Dr. Eller comes into the room as they're scoping and he looks at the screen and he goes, wow. Now, for your doctor to say, wow, you know, that, that says something for me of concern. And um, yeah, so as soon as he sees it, he goes, this looks like Veruca's carcinoma. I don't know what Verrucus is, but I know what carcinoma is. Sure. And immediately, whenever that, whenever that comes out of out of a doctor's mouth to you, you there is a there is complete uncertainty that takes over, of and it's gripping. What in the world does this mean? What am I What am I faced with here? And he explained to me about Verrucus. And he said, now this is not 100% sure we got to do a biopsy. Um, this is just what it looks like to me, is how he, you know, he explained. And so he explained to me about Verrucus carcinoma. And, and, and if it was Verrucus, Verrucus doesn't um, metastasize, so it doesn't spread. It's not life-threatening. Well, that makes you feel a lot better at the moment. But in, in, the, in the moment of getting you know, and, and beginning the process of receiving a cancer diagnosis. <clears throat> You're glad to hear that, but it's still not 100%. Nothing is 100% at the moment. And so you don't know if this, okay, this is sitting on my vocal cords. Of all places, it's sitting on my vocal cord. How did it get there? I don't know. So my mind is going, I don't smoke. I don't, I don't do anything that I know of to instigate something like that. And, and you don't know all the questions to ask when you're sitting there faced with it. And like I said, I was by myself, and the emotions just bubble up. And it's overwhelming. Dr. Eller explains about Verrucas and everything. He makes me feel a little bit better, and but... They schedule a, a a biopsy. Well, whenever he leaves the room, the speech pathologist, they stay behind and they kind of have a little counseling session with me. And one of the things that they said to me was, because they're brutally honest, and I'm glad. Yeah. Because you got to know what you're faced with. They said that based on what we're looking at here, that you may have to consider very strongly to change career paths. Because and you're how old at this moment? Now I'm I'm 43 years old. And you've been in this arena for two decades. Yes, this is how I. This is my livelihood. This is how I mm-hmm. feed my family. 
and I've been blessed to be able to be able to do that. You know. So when you hear that, what's the first thought? It it's hard to describe the the, the actual thoughts that you have. It's more of a feeling of um, it, it's it's kind of it's it's desperation. You're you and, and and the unknown. Yeah. What do I do with this? I, because you know it's step by step. And so that first step of hearing that, you're like, your your brain begins to scan, like, what, what do I do? What what does this mean? What does what is my life going to look like? You know, are they wrong? If this isn't Veruca's carcinoma, if this is something worse, do I have to go through chemo? Do I have you know what? Am I going to die? Am I gonna? Am I not going to be able to be here? to see my kids, you know, graduate, get married. Am I going to be old enough to have grandkids? You know, all these things start to play in your, on your, you know, and weigh on you. At that time in your life, how much was running a part of your life? Um, it was, I was running, I would say moderately. Okay. I go for, when, when I, when I go to, when I travel to Fayetteville on the weekends, I have a, a routine, and running has has been a part of that routine, and was a part of that routine before the diagnosis. So um, sometimes I wouldn't run during the week, but every Saturday I would run. So at least once a week during that time. But after after sitting in that office and getting that, you know, that diagnosis or what was soon to be that diagnosis confirmed, <clears throat> running began to. Uh, I gave myself to it. Why? Why was that the the decision? I needed somewhere to physically be able to what I felt to fight back. You know, you hear you know people encouraging people to you know to to fight cancer and fight back and and how do you do that? And one and and so you know. I can't physically, you know, crawl into my body and and defeat the enemy of cancer. But what I what I could do was I could physically um, give my body to doing everything that it was that it, that it could physically do to not feel beaten down and not feel like you were chained. Or handcuffed to to this diagnosis, and so being able to give myself and and focus on putting my f- one foot in front of the other and see how fast I could do that, because I was going to have to walk through this. I was going to have to face this diagnosis, and I was going to have to walk through places that I didn't. That I didn't want to go. I did not want to go for a biopsy. I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to have to go through the surgery and find out: Am I going to be able to even speak after this? And so, running allowed me to focus on how I was going to face cancer. Was I going to do it with a? A good attitude or was I going to do it with a terrible attitude and that's running you go out and you know like today I'm on the trail and I'm thinking you know 
as running is good for. And one thing that I love about trail running is the further you the further you get into the woods, you're stuck. Yep. Unless you keep moving. And it's like there's one way in and there's one way out. And that's momentum. You gotta move. And so that's how I was looking. And that was kind of the analogy of, of, of running and fighting cancer. There's one way in, there's one way out. <clears throat> and if I don't if I don't keep momentum on the trail, I'm not going back home. You know. And even if you do, there's going to be points along the trail that are difficult. That's right. The grade changes, it yeah, gets absolutely. a little rockier and rootier. Right. What were some of those moments along your path? Do you know running and my faith helped me say bring it on? Hmm. Because through running, it's you know your battle in, in your mind is I don't feel like it. There there's a greater desire to stop than there is to keep going. And until you train yourself to uh uh-uh, uh no way man I'm gonna keep going and 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 so I I felt that way with with facing this diagnosis. No way that I'm going to go into this and and face this with a terrible attitude because I can get through this. I can get through this, okay, with a bad attitude. I can still get through this because I'm really in the doctor's hands when it comes to the the surgery. And so I can get through this. And if I do it with a good attitude, just like if I run a trail or if I go out and run just a 5K or... If I go out there and I have a positive and I, and I have a good attitude about it, when I look back at the miles that I ran, I don't look back in and say, ugh, that was horrible. Well, it may have felt horrible, but if I can keep my attitude of, listen, this is, you're, you're, you're progressing in this. You knocked this out. You, you made it through this and you did it with a good attitude. You always come out feeling better. You are hitting on a, a lot of themes that we've discussed in various different episodes right. here and just called there to a theme that we've been on a lot lately about if you act and you get out the door and you get the shoes laced up and you put in the miles, even if you you left home and maybe you didn't feel like you were up to running that day, you never regret it. No. And you always feel a little better. Absolutely. And, and how did that then, when you got off the trailer, you got off the road at the end of the day, how did that carry over into changing just your entire mental outlook on, on this in, this diagnosis? Because now the diagnosis has been confirmed. And you talk so much about this positive outlook because nobody can control your outlook except for you right right? and how did you use running as the tool to get through the run that helped you get through the sickness running became a a sanctuary for me as well you know my my faith you know running running is a running is a a percentage of this my my faith is another part of this and and being able to mix my runs and my faith it was a place that I could go to and I could physically hammer out those miles and at the same time I could figure things out 
through prayer and and through thinking and you know and meditating on what I knew to be true about what I'm faced with and that that's another big a big theme when it comes to me and running is that I anxiety you know and depression that's you know another uh, topic of of something that that I've struggled with and we'll probably touch on that but if I listen to the voice that says to me or if I li- I mean or my voice even if it's my voice you know saying dude you don't feel like running today you or my anxieties would also and this is you know a, a lot of people don't talk about anxiety and fear I do it's a, it's been a reality in my in my you know my journey um and it ramped up a lot through this diagnosis sure. and if i believe my anxiety then i believe a lie because anxiety would cause heart palpitations inside of me and so i would tell myself if i go out and run and my heart's palpitating because of anxiety my heart's going to explode well that's a lie that's not true that's actually not going to happen <laughs> so here's some encouragement to lace up those shoes no matter if you're no matter if you're dealing with um, <clears throat> if it's an anxiety and depression if it's a mental place or if it's a physical yeah so encouragement in in um, dealing with the anxiety and depression that I was dealing with at the time yeah there were so many days that I didn't want to run if if there's a lie there has to be truth that's the way that I, I view things. That's what I believe that. And so I chose to, no, I'm not. The truth is I don't have heart issues. The truth is I deal with anxieties. So I'm going to lace up my shoes and I'm going to go run as fast as I can. And I'm going to, I'm going to test this too. I'm going to test and see how far I can push myself because I'm not going to let anxieties cripple me and tell me that I can't. How far did you push? You went from a guy who was maybe running on the weekend every once in a while. What did it become? What did the routine start to look like? At first, it was to see how fast I could run a 5K. Now, I was 43, so obviously my time is not going to be what it, it was, and I have no idea what it... I, I, I've never, I never really tried to run my fastest 5K. And so in October of um, 18, the last year, last October... My my fastest was right at I think it was nineteen minutes, and so that was that was good for me. I was trying to you know run a sub twenty. Yeah, you know that was my first goal. I did that, and then don't you know I had a calf injury right after that. <laughs> so yeah. then I was sidelined. You know, I mean, I kept running, but it was I probably shouldn't have at first, but so I hobbled through it, and that was a discouragement. But but that's okay. You know, because you push through. And that was something that at that point, right before the cancer diagnosis, that I just felt like in my life of dealing with anxieties and stuff was just just keep moving forward. Yeah. Just keep, keep moving forward. Keep acting. That's right. And and not getting consumed by That's right. By thought. Right. Yeah. That's that's powerful advice. Regardless of the situation, yeah. I believe that we sometimes become our own worst enemies, don't we? And it's in life, but it's out on the course, too. Right. Uh, how many times, 
late in a race have you wanted to, to give in? How many times, as somebody said at, at mile two and a half of a 5K, oh, I don't know if I can keep holding on to this pace. I'm at mile 22 of a marathon. Can I really run four more? And we face those, what we often call in the show, those moments of truth. Right. You're facing one every day in this time period, right? Yeah. You are facing that moment of truth. And so you're dealing with both mental and physical aspects. And the run becomes a place where it's that physical movement, as you said, meets the spiritual, emotional, emotional, mental aspect. I think running can become almost like our, our journal, our diary, it right? Is. You, it is. You get all those thoughts right. out and, and leave them etched on the pavement with your footprints. And so for you, you've taken that to now. You've run a 5K faster. You're more committed to running. But let's take that to the next step of did that transform life for you? And how so? How did this become about more than I'm fighting cancer, I'm fighting anxiety, and it's an entire reshaping of yeah. who you are as a man? Wow. Um, you know, I'm still discovering that. It, 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 that that's, that's a progression that, that doesn't stop. I think that, <clears throat> I think that the cancer and, and walking through that and running through that, I think you... I think you build confidence, like I said, whenever you walk through it with, you try to maintain the, the best attitude that you can, but you build character. And this is, you know, I, I, I believe this, and um, you can find this in the Bible if you look it up. I can't tell you the exact scripture at the moment, but suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character. And character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Mm. And so if you want to know what running is for me, that's exactly what it is. If you want to know what facing cancer is, that's exactly what it is. Is that if you allow yourself to walk through a time of suffering, and you identify with, okay, this is what it is. And if I walk through this trusting, if I walk through this trusting God, if I walk through this with, with a good attitude in this, there's something to be gained out of this. And most of the time, it's not necessarily something physical. I will add to that with a note I had written here in preparing and knowing your journey and that your faith was important to you. Right. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and mm-hmm. sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Right. And it's a perspective that, oh, we struggle with, yeah. right? We think, why is this happening? And instead, there's some opportunity that brings. There's some growth that it brings. And you are epitomizing that in, in what you speak and, and what you experienced. Well, then what good is it? What good is it to walk through a trial, a, a place of suffering, if you don't walk through the other side of it? with a a growth in your character as a man or a woman and say, it wasn't in vain that I went through this. It doesn't have to be in vain. It doesn't have to be, you know, it's like, I'll say this. 
I felt bad going through it because I felt like, well, mine's not as bad oh. as the other person that got the terminal yeah. diagnosis. And and we hear that thought a lot. Yeah. And I, I once had someone very wise tell me, it, it's always as bad because it's you. It's your life. It's so hard for someone else's life to resonate in the way your experience does. It right. hurts you more because you live through it at every right. moment. Right. My, my story is not... It's not, the, it's not the cancer itself because... You know, I, I guess I, I can I can go into this, you know, real quick is that me moving to Greenville, South Carolina, I still, I still have no idea why I'm here in the sense of as far as my career is concerned. I'm still traveling. But if you look at why I'm here based on what I've walked through over the last year, I had to come here because... I could not, for, I'm not saying that there's not amazing doctors everywhere, but I was appointed to Dr. Eller and he was appointed to me for this time. And this is something that I I didn't share it at first, but because this is a huge part of the story is that, again, the reason why I say my story is not the cancer, my story is what took place through this. And that is, I experienced, because for me, my faith, God, heal me of this. You know, touch me and and heal this. And God's plan is not always to heal you through a miracle of, it's just here and then it's gone. And so, but Dr. Eller was a miracle for me because that day that I went into his office, from the diagnosis, and I hope he don't mind I share this, Dr. Eller, but he asked me if he could pray for me on the spot after the di- after he told me what I'm faced with. I mean, absolutely you can. Because now I'm seeing, okay, all right, now I know why I'm with Dr. Eller. You know, we share, we share a common bond we share faith. And he's going to be crying out to the same God that I am in this process. And as we progressed in this, walking through this, that was, that was, what, that was what happened at, at our every meeting was he prayed for me and he prayed for me and prayed for me. And he was always very, um, very honest that it may not, that the surgery may not leave my vocal cords in, in a condition to be able to sing or the quality or the range may never come back or this or that. But the closer we got to the surgery, the more confident I could see him feel about what we were going to be faced with. Being here got you partnered with the right people yes. at the right time. At the right time. Yeah. Not in anywhere else necessarily in my life. I mean, in, in you know, other areas of my life, there's, there's so many question marks of, of yeah. that. But 
as far as that's, you know, the, the, the dealing with the cancer, yeah. I mean, and he performed the surgery and came out of the surgery and he was, he was, he was so excited about how the surgery went. So, what's your current health status? Cancer free. Cancer free. Cancer free, and my voice is almost to 100%. I am singing again, and actually, my range is actually my singing range is better than it's <laughs> than it's ever been. Yeah. My the clarity in my voice. Not so much right now. I'm struggling with, with uh, allergies, but the clarity in my voice. I haven't heard my voice that way in years. And the role of running in your life now, where are you with that journey and, and what goals do you have going forward with running? I am, I'm having the time of my life running right now. Um, sticking to it um, and going out every day if you can, every other day if you can, you know, sticking to it with, the, with that good attitude, now going out. You know, you begin you begin to fly more, right? And the bad days of running aren't they're still there, but they seem to be f- fewer, few, far between. The bad days with it are often better than even the, they're the better, best without right. it. Yeah. Be, yeah, that's right. You know, you get your body into shape. Yeah, um, your body wants to work at a hundred percent. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And what is a hundred percent? What is a hundred percent at forty-four years old? That's what we're on the quest to find That's out, right. right? I don't know, but I'm gonna try to find out. I'll say this, and and this isn't to this is more out of uh, a surprise to myself for sure. Um, but as in setting goals, I entered a 5K in I think it was March, my first 5K that I've that I've run in in years, and I I came in first in my age group second overall and so when that happened you know I was like okay so maybe maybe I'll try to do you know do something (laughs) so that I entered another 5k and I placed first or second I can't remember now in my age group which at 44 maybe that's um but it's something that of course it is you know it means that I'm I'm running faster than most of the people out on the course. That's great in a 5K, but I, I want to go to okay. where I think it's really impressive and yeah. is a great metaphor for this entire journey. Right. You ran that half marathon yeah. up Altamont. Yes. Um, so for the people who aren't from the area, what's that course like? You're climbing a mountain. You know what? I have... This, this is crazy. I decided to run that race a couple days before... <laughs> No, now I had not been doing any. I did not train for that course at all. The only hills that I was running up is the little hills that happen to be on Swamp Rabbit Trail, which is <laughs> there are no hills. Yeah, you know, and that was pretty much it. And so I had no idea what I was in for. I, I might have been a blessing. Yeah, <laughs> it 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 actually was because it didn't get into my brain. Yeah, and. But I went out there and I said, you know what, JD, do not worry about trying to worry about finishing this race. Don't worry about trying to place in this. But, you know, you're, you got a competitive spirit you're going to want to do. Yeah. And so I went out and um, 
it was the best race that I've ever run in as far as feeling mm. my best. The course is beautiful. It's brutal. Yeah. But I just gave myself to it. I gave myself to that course and said, you know what? Feel your heart rate. You know where you want to push it to. Concentrate on that. And if you have to walk the climb, walk it and bomb the downhill and go for it. And that's what I did. And I think I was, oh man, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, 15th, maybe 16th or something, I I think overall um it may have been not that not no that you, good you were it was there. something like yeah. that i don't know if they did necessarily age groups but i did not come in i may have come in third in my age group or something but yeah so i'm scoping out the guys that are running <laughs> yeah that i'm, I'm, scop- I'm scoping out the guys that i'm, I'm passing at first yeah. and then i'm scoping out the guys that are passing me thinking are they about my age? Right, on the turnaround and i'm yeah. like yeah, I see some gray hair there. He's got me, you know. So <laughs> you gave yourself to that race, just like you gave yourself to your fight for I the did. past year plus, and, I gave and summited that huge climb, just like you did yeah. with your sickness. Two things to wrap up here sure. that I'd really like to touch on a little bit more. You have—I've uh, heard you several times speak to a theme of never alone. Yeah. What does that mean to you over the past couple of years, but also in your running journey? There's having having a family around you that supports you and loves you. Um, I can't take that that piece out of this and not say that that's a huge a huge piece because it it truly is and, and it's a blessing. But I'll say this too is that when you are dealing with anxieties and depression, you feel alienated. No matter how many people are around you and supporting you, there's a place that you do feel. You know, you're, you're, you're alienated. But when I say that you're never alone, that covers a lot of ground. You're never alone because there's nothing that I've walked through that God has not said, I'm going to walk with you through this. And after the diagnosis, it was like a death. I've only experienced losing, you know, uh, my grandparents as far as somebody being close to me. But every time that I, I've lost somebody close to me in that way, I've always felt God's presence around me and holding me through that that time. And when I got the diagnosis, I felt the exact same thing. And it's just a closeness. It was a stronger closeness that I felt. And it was an assurance of, I've got you through this. And so we're never alone in regards to that. But we're also never alone in the sense of you are not the only one. And there are, I'm sure at the sound of my voice, if you're hearing me, that you or someone that is close to you is dealing with um, anxiety or depression or some sort of diagnosis, or you're just going through a, you know, some suffering in some way, a trial. And you're not alone in that, and we shouldn't, is that we've got to band together and and be able to speak to each other. And even coming in here and, and doing a podcast and speaking to you is in our conversation. We realize how much, now I didn't know this before coming in here talking to you, but just as we start to open up and share with each other, I realize just how much we share and have in common. Mm-hmm. 
And if we don't do that with each other, and if we don't have those conversations, then we'll walk around thinking that we are alienated, that we are alone, but we're not. It's easy to judge. It's easy to assume. Right. And maybe it takes a little bit more effort to care and to reach out and to love. But when you're going through the things that you just mentioned, boy, that stuff can be powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, and I'm sure you've now seen this in the past couple of years, one of the absolutely extraordinary things about the running community. It is built on a culture of encouragement yeah. and mutual respect. And I hope that's a takeaway from absolutely. our time to here together too, that all of us who listen to this share that, sow that seed in our lives. Yeah, you know, every I, I, I rarely get to run with others. And maybe this will change after this podcast because I don't have a, a real strong community of folks here that that I um, that I run with, and you know, hope like I said, hopefully that that'll change. But I'm but I'm traveling a lot too, and so whenever I travel, you know, I have to run by myself. So, sure, you know a lot. But I'll say this: every race that I run in, um, whether here in in uh, in Greenville or um, in another town. The bond that you share when you start running with other people is unspoken. And the encouragement that I would say most hopefully you feel, you know, most people do feel, I do, is when I ran my first half marathon, I finished in tears. And it wasn't because I finished. It was because I felt the power of all of us being out there on the same mission to cross that finish line. And I felt for the first time in running that, man... This community of, of, of runners in just in this race, it, it's powerful without even talking to anyone. It was, we're all in this together. Same goal. Yeah. We don't, we don't all run the same pace, but we're all going in the same direction. And we have to encourage each other just to keep moving, just keep going. And when you're out on the Swamp Rabbit, you know, or you're out on Paris Mountain or wherever, wherever it is you run... One of the greatest things that you can do is encourage somebody who's running or walking by you. Keep it up. I always give them a thumbs up or nod just to let them know I'm right there with you. I know that it may, this step that you're taking, it, it may, maybe it feels like it's the last one you can take today. Keep going. I can't think of any better advice for yeah. almost any aspect of life and and any better place than encouragement to to end our time together. Um, before we go, where can people find out more about your music? It's coming. I I go by my original music that I'm. I've been in the process of writing these songs for this project. It's called Young American. Um, you can find me on Instagram. It's Young American. The Y is a seven. So I've been, this was something that I started writing before the diagnosis. And so, so a lot of these songs and new songs are, are, you know, these are all through this journey. And um, so it's coming, it's on its way. Um, I'm in the process of, of writing up the last few songs and then hopefully get into a studio and record and, and get that out to the public. um, These songs are very important 
to me and have been a huge part of my healing as well. And if you ask me what genre it is, <laughs> if you like to sing and you like to dance, then you'll love Young America. It's your genre that's, then. <clears throat> that's what it is. You playing locally anytime soon? Are you mostly in North Carolina I'm still? I'm mostly in North Carolina right now. I think I have something coming up in, in June here. Let us know, yeah. and we'll we'll let people know when you've yeah, got to have absolutely. something here locally, because we know we have a good audience here in the upstate. JD, thanks so much for coming in, sharing your story. It was emotional and inspiring, yeah. as I knew it would be. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. That's it for this episode. You can contact us at secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Thanks, as always, to our sponsor, Run In, and we will talk to everyone soon. Looking forward to next time.